we have to give all the glory to God for what He's doing in our community. So this is a little bit uh, moving on from some of the things that have really helped me as a Christian to grow. You know, one of those one, two, ten sort of like life change principles that I've experienced. And so this morning I'm going to talk about something which I think is, uh, uh, in fact, uh, our elder Lloyd today, he spoke right into the heart of this. It's probably the most misunderstood part of what we call the good news about Jesus Christ. And yet it's probably the biggest key. One of the biggest keys for growth in Mike's life has been an understanding that I don't have to engage with God on the basis of how good I've been because I've never been good enough. And, you know, I come into his throne room, if it's by my own merits and stuff, I come in with dirty rags, I smell, I'm not great. When I used to work as a livestock agent many, many years ago, Wednesdays used to be pig day at the Midland Markets and travelling home on the bus, I never had a trouble getting a seat for myself. And in fact, the longer the bus ride went, the more and more space I was able to develop in the bus because I just stank. And there's a way that pigs stink, that get right up the nostrils <laughs> in a way that other things don't quite smell the same way. So to me, this was a life changer to understand the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can easily misunderstand things based on the superficial appearances, can't we? It's easy to look at something and make judgments and yet be very, very wrong about it. And I think, sadly, a lot of what we call religion, Christianity, has been a misunderstanding of some of the core truths. Stories told of a man who, uh, as a sideline to his life, he's a piper. He plays the bagpipes. You know those cats that squeal under your arms? Wow! Away they go. So he was a piper, and so he would get people who would call him up and say, look, could you, uh, you know, do a wedding, a funeral, uh, you play? And because what sounds great on the pipes? Amazing great, isn't it? Just something about the bagpipes and that song. And so he gets this call to go and do a funeral. And he's been asked to play Amazing Grace at the funeral. And so he gets to the car. He's got his bagpipes. He's got his nice little dress. He's already goes in costume. And he plugs to, uh, into the GPS, into Miss Google, who sometimes will help you and sometimes will take you on a trip you weren't expecting. Anybody had that experience? <laughs> About everybody. So he plugs the address in. And sadly, Miss Google takes him all over the place. He's lost. The funeral's meant to start at a particular time. He gets to what he believes to be the location around about an hour late or something. And uh, it's, it's, everybody's gone. And it's just a few men with their shovels. And they're just patting down the hole. And he thinks, oh, my Lord, I, you know, I, I really have missed this one up. But he says, look, seeing I'm out here, I've been paid to, paid to play amazing grace so I better do the right thing so he gets out of the car and goes up the men just stand back they're a bit surprised to see him there and out he gets the bagpipes starts to play amazing grace yes again I've been told not to sing in public by Esther now so (laughs) 
It was a magic moment. The men take their hats off. There's a tear in their eye. You know, it's very, it's very emotional, very evocative. And uh, the piper does his bed. He bows to the, uh, to the pilot, and then he goes away. Hits in the car. He says, "Well, at least I've done what I could and stuff." And one man leaned on his shovel, turns and says to the other man, "You know, hard on the yeah, hand on the heart, saying, you know, I've been doing this for years." That's the first time I've seen anybody play the bagpipes for a septic tank. <laughs> you know, we can mess things up, can't we? On the surface, on the surface. So I want to talk to you about the revelation of righteousness. And there's our first problem, because if you've been around church life a long time, then righteousness is sort of like a term that we've thrown around, we preach about, and yet we don't really know what it's about. In fact, it, it often comes across really not as a nice word, but as a sledgehammer. Righteousness, you know, the holy and righteous church. Oh, the first coming, you know, it comes across as a hard word. And of course, if you're a younger person, uh, righteousness is just a, a, a word that you can fill for any meaning that you want. It's a difficult word to get around. So there's our first trouble. And yet... Paul says in his great thesis about the good news, let's say good news, the gospel is meant to be good news. You know, so when you walk into your school, when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your family, you are meant to be a bringer of what sort of news? Good news. Not bad news, but good news. And so he says that this good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, is about the righteousness of God righteousness so we're going to look at it so next slide thank you dress code here's a guy who's turned up at a very flash wedding not probably dressed appropriately the the uh, on the other side of there's a dress code to a homosexual nightclub in perth so uh what are you like men please wear a collared shirt look there you go some have to leave already no runners, <laughs> no gym shoes, no caps. What's a cap? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, of course, yeah. No sportswear, no large gold or silver chains. Why wouldn't you allow to be wearing large gold or silver chains? Ostentatious. What was that, Lisa? You look like a gangster. Okay. Uh, no hoods and no, oh, excuse me, yeah. those funny little bags you wear around your waist that are very unflattering. <laughs> Thank you, management. You can't get into a nightclub. I made the mistake once of going to a golf course to raise money for Teen Challenge and I was dressed inappropriately in jeans. And so I actually had to borrow a pair of men's pants that didn't fit me and walk around all day like this holding up my pants because I didn't fit. Well, here's, here's the deal. There's not a dress code for Champion Ace Christian Church. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but there's a dress code for nightclubs. There's a dress code for golf clubs. There's a dress code sometimes for schools. There's a dress code for perhaps hostesses and policemen. And you know what? There's also a dress code for heaven. You just can't turn up to heaven wearing what you like. You actually have to wear the right clothes.
clothes. And the Bible has consistently, from Genesis right through to the end of the book, Revelations, has used a metaphor, a word picture, to describe the right sort of clothes that you should be wearing. And it's that, that R word, not religion, but righteousness. It's the covering. You go back to the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 and 3, you find that man falls into sin, Adam and Eve eat of that uh, tree of the forbidden knowledge. And then the first thing they find is that they are unclothed, they are naked. And they then feel the consequential um, uh, psychological reactions that of shame and of guilt. That's what sin will do to you. It exposes you and it leaves you in shame and guilt. And then the response then of the sinners was to hide from God and to then develop their own protections, those, those fig leaves of covering up. And yet God has prepared for them, will prepare for them, prophetically, new garments. An animal will die, blood will be shed. It's a type, it's a picture ultimately that Jesus will come as the Lamb of God and will die. His blood will be shed in order that we will have a new covering. And today I'm going to ask you, what are you wearing? Are you wearing today fig leaves? Or are you today dressed in the covering that Jesus Christ provides? His righteousness, His robes, His glory, His right deeds is the dress code for heaven. Next slide. Thank you. So Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this. All of us, how many of us? Uh, can you say to your neighbor, well, that means you as well. <laughs> all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, I don't want to be uh, in any sense uh, inappropriate, but this relates to, uh, um, how do I say it nicely? Female feminine products. Okay, when it uses the word filthy rags, that's not talking about my dacky trackies. It's actually talking about that which is soaked in blood. All shriveled up like a leaf and like a wind, our sins will sweep us away. That's actually talking not only about my sins, it's actually talking about everything good I've done. Hello? Everything that I've done will never be enough when compared with God's standard, which is perfection. And so if the mark... Out of a hundred, to get into hundred is a hundred, and you get seventy percent. God bless you, but you still don't get in heaven, do you? If that's the pass mark. If you're, but for me, my pass mark was probably about minus ten. So that's every one of us here today, isn't it? Do any of us deserve to go to heaven? Put up your hands today. Put up your hands if you deserve to go to hell. Well, only some of you deserve to go to hell. Don't, who th don't think you deserve to go to hell yet? Who's not going to put up their hands? <laughs> it's an oldie for Mike, isn't it? Next slide. Thank you. So moving a little bit further into uh, our text here, it's Romans chapter 1, 16 to 17. Reading from the New King James Version, of course, we are very familiar with the King James with its rhyme and its rhythm. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel is good news. 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, because it went to the Jews first, and then also for the non-Jew, the Greeks, us here today, Australians and Filipinos and Noongars and Africans and, yes, even New Zealanders, I know, yeah. (laughs) For in the righteousness of God is revealed. So here we have God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. This is not a doing word. This is a believing word. This is so important that you grasp this. Getting to heaven is not about doing. It's about believing and believing for God's offer. The just shall live by faith. Next slide. Thank you. And verse 21. So chapter 3, this is uh, with Mark on a little bit from the start of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Paul says that everybody is condemned and guilty before a holy God because there's a little bit known about God through creation. When you look at the stars, when you look at uh, what God made, then it's clear that there is a God, that he's powerful, that he's invisible. The argument from design, you know, no one would say that the watch on your hand just happened accidentally, that all those parts evolved over a million years to form that smart watch. No one would ever make that claim and yet they think that the hand or the wrist that supports it happen accidentally and that is by factors of millions more complicated more complex than the watch you understand just how intricately how amazing you are made if we get a microscope today electron microscope and we start to drill down on chris that eventually chris disappears and there's just space the only thing that makes Chris exist is these molecules that are defined by one word of four million letters. Unique, not another one like it anywhere in the universe. His DNA, one word. You're a word. The word, you're a word, and the rest is space. The rest disappears. It's amazing. But he says we're all guilty because we all rejected that. Then he moves into chapter 2 and says, yeah, but the the law of God is also written upon our hearts. We call it conscience. But nevertheless, everybody breaks their conscience. Has anybody ever done that before you ever knew it? Did anybody ever teach their children to lie? (laughs) Or did they learn all by themselves? Did they they learn to steal by themselves? Did they learn to, you know, it's just we all break that law. Then he moves into chapter 3 and says, yeah, and the law... You know, the covenant was made with God's people. They were given the temple and the sacrifices and, you know, all the truth and the prophets. And guess what they did? They were the worst of all sinners because they had more help and they broke the laws more than the rest of them. And he comes to this conclusion. So all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. All are sinners. All are under the punishment of eternal death. That's not the good news. And then verse 21 says, but now, come on, do you hear it? But, 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 damned, doomed, dead, lost, hopeless, and all the rest get to 21 and it's, but now God has a different program. He has an answer. Anybody interested in that? Yeah, it's a good thing. 
But now, here we get in this idea of the theme, God's rightness. If righteousness is too difficult of a concept, God being right, His rightness, a rightness of God apart from the law, is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, it's not new, it's testified, it's built on the foundation of what's gone before. Even the rightness of God through faith in Christ Jesus. How do you get rightness with God? By faith. Through Jesus Christ. By faith through Jesus Christ. How do you get to be right in God's eyes? I think in your own eyes. Well, you've got to believe that you are. You've got to believe that you are. That you are right before God. And you do it not on the basis of your work, merit, cleverness. You do it on the basis, I know what Jesus has done. I know what I did, but I know what Jesus has done. (laughs) My history does not have to be my destiny, amen? My past doesn't define me. I can actually choose that. But it's through God and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all of sin, for short of God's glory, being justified freely by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is located in the person of Christ. Fantastic. Next slide. Thank you. So the good news of Jesus Christ is actually not about you change. And, and even now, I, I sometimes think even in, in the best practices of church, if we're not careful, the message comes across as, you've got to change. You have got to work harder. You've got to pray more. You've got to be more dedicated. You've got to give more. You are the one who has to change. That's often how the church appears to be. That's the message. But it's actually wrong. It's actually wrong. What it is is actually a grand exchange where we exchange our failures for Jesus' success. We exchange my weakness for his strength. I exchange my filth for his rightness. I exchange my depression for his joy. I exchange my... Come on, guys. This is good news. I exchange my chaos for his peace. It's an exchange. And it's a free exchange. We've got to let go of our stuff and take hold of God's stuff. It's an exchange. Now, once you've done the exchange, there comes an obligation. Then you live in it. That you don't destroy that you don't mess up with it. But it is, at its core, a cross of X change rather than change. Does that make sense? Am I communicating well? Some of you are looking at me a bit weird. Some are looking a bit cross-eyed. Second Corinthians 5 verse 16. Because of this decision, that, that just points back to a little bit of, you know, how um, Jesus uh, came to earth and the Jesus that they were very much familiar with as apostles and as prophets was an earthly Jesus. You know, this was the Jesus that, you know, had hair and sweated and bled and walked and talked and ate and went to the toilet and did all those things of a human being. And then something really 
mind-blowing happy, and he died. And guess what? He came back to life, and he walked through walls. He did amazing things. And all of a sudden, they said, the Jesus that we knew on the human level is not the full Jesus. That actually is a much higher dimension to what Jesus is. It was God. He can walk through walls. He can float up into the sky. He can be, he can suddenly appear in a room and disappear. This is not the same Jesus as before. So given that knowledge, that's Jesus. This is what the text says. Because of this, we do not evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Is that worth saying again? We, because of this, because we understand Jesus was very human and at one stage he looked very weak. He was on a cross. He was dying. He looked like everything was finished. The the hope was gone. The world turned against him. We saw that and now we see him as high and lifted up, you know, as the one in the book of Revelations who St. John the Divine fell before worship. The one whose hair is white mouth is like a flaming sword because we could see that change we look at everybody else the same way we looked at the messiah that way once and we got it all wrong as you know and we certainly don't look at him that way anymore now we look inside and what we see is that anyone say anyone united with the messiah this is good news gets a fresh start and is created new. The old life is gone and new life burgeons and explodes. It bursts forth. Just look at it. Classically, it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It is one of my memory texts. Behold, the old man is passed away and the new creation has come. Hallelujah. The old man is dead. The old Mike is dead. Look, he's a vampire. He wants to get up all the time. Every full moon, he wants to go howl at the moons. But I want to tell you, one of my strong verses, one of the mantras in my head, the old Mike is dead. You don't want to know the old Mike. Your daughters are much safer. Your big screen TVs are much safer. Your cars are much safer. You are so glad that the old Mike is dead. And behold, all things become new. And that happened to me back in 1976, around about the 6th of July, 1976. And it has to happen to me every day since. Come on. It's just not a one-time decision. Lord, I invite you into my life. Because it says, if anyone be in Christ, then the old man's dead and the new creation lives. But I find that in my spirituality, sometimes I like to be close to the fire, warming myself and enjoying the light and the warmth and the heat and the companionship around the fire. And there are other times I want to isolate myself and go back, suck my thumb, sit in my isolation and say, oh, poor me. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. I think I'll eat worms. (laughs) And I'll be over here and I'll think of those stupid spiritual people over there by the fire. They're fanatics, you know. Yeah. You know, they're a bit over the top. 
They should be where I am. This is the right place to be. And, of course, those people out there freezing by the icebergs, they're backsliders, you know. It's me who's okay. I'm in the right place. So we've got to choose to locate ourselves in Christ, just not once and for all back in 1976, but every day of your life. But the good news of the gospel, if you're in Christ today, everything is new. If you're in Christ now, everything's new. And you can walk out here aligned to something creative, the very creative force of this cosmos is alive in you. A worst version puts it this way. You're a brand new species. You can turn to your neighbor, you can tell me, you always look a bit alien to me. <laughs> it's great news, isn't it? It's the exchange. You can give up the old for the new. Uh, next slide, thank you. So here we are. Here's the good news. All of humanity for all time have been invited to a wedding. This is just a little bit bigger than Pastor Karen's. Just a little bit bigger. <laughs> We're all invited. And we have also been given the wedding garments to wear because of grace. We can go on our fig leaves or we can go in the garments that are prepared for us or the rightness that we stand. And so that's a, that's a challenge for all of us. How do we get there? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin. This is Jesus who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This could really help some people. Jesus, who knew no sin, took my sin and he died and he paid the price of my sin. Okay, so I did X, Y, and Z in my past, some really terrible things. Should I be paying for them again, seeing that Jesus paid for them? No, that, that would be really quite crazy, isn't it? You know, if I, you know, just to perhaps make it a little bit more relevant, if I got photographed going through a red light and I've got the the fine for that, and uh, I, I uh, got that nice little photograph in the mail. In the meantime, my wife has graciously gone and paid for the fine. It'd be a bit stupid for me to go up there and want to pay it again, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be smart. And yet, every time you feel guilty, every time you feel ashamed, every time the past attempts to pull you back, into that mess, into that shame and horror and all the things happen, that is the work of the enemy to keep you small and to keep you condemned. Because the good news of the gospel, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. In, 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 in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. I want you to know today, every man, woman, child, that you can do nothing to add to your status with God. And you can do nothing to remove your status with God because he, Jesus, has perfect status with God. And he says, forgiven, 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 justified, 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 set free, release, 
You are free in God to pursue the new creation, to live it all new. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says, He is the source of your life, again, in Christ Jesus, who has become for us rightness, righteousness. So today, I can stand with my hands raised and love God and know that there is no distance between me and my Father. Because I have a lawyer in heaven whose name is Jesus. On one side in heaven, based on revelations, we have the accuser of the brethren, who is the devil, Diabolos, Santanas, the accuser. And he's whispering in the Father's ear, God, do you know what Mike did this week? He did, he did that, he did that. And but on the other side, I have got Jesus, who's whispering in the Father's ear, says, yeah, but it's okay, Dad. I paid for that. Yeah, paid. <laughs> it's done. It's finished. It's telestai. It's paid. It's paid. It's paid. Forgiven, 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 forgiven. And so I can stand before God and accept that wonderful offer that I'm right with God. I'm right with God. I'm all right with God. Are you all right with God? Turn to your name and say, you look all right with God with me. But, you know, are you going to turn wrong clothes next slide thank you here's uh, matthew chapter 22 very short parable it is one of the heaven and hell parables when the king came in to see the guests he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment and so he said to him friend so he wanted him to be there he had an invitation he was a friend but friend did you come here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Uh, I think hell might be a dental surgery. Oh, sorry, I might have a dentist present. <laughs> For many caught and few are chosen. So you get the picture, don't you? It's a big wedding. And the wedding geese, one of the guests have come and have not bothered to show up at all. I was uh, YouTubing some other images of uh, dress codes for nightclubs in Perth. One of the uh, dress codes simply said, no effort, no entry. <laughs> Pretty simple, really, isn't it? You know, <laughs> if you've just shown up in your pyjamas, I'm sorry, you've not made much of an effort. No effort, no entry. So it's not that we get into heaven without any effort. we just got to get in with the effort of saying yes to Jesus and putting on his garments, his clothes, and taking on his righteousness. That's how we get in. I uh, believe that there are certain nightclubs in the world where you've got to line up because it's very popular and that's where you want to be seen. And so you line up and you go forward on the line and... And you know that there's a bouncer at the door who's going to look you up and down and say, you're in, you're out. And you get further, further up the line. Now, I would be incredibly anxious at this stage because I've always been at the back of every line. Has anybody ever been there? You know, when they're at school and, and you know, it was the case of we'll just pick teams, you know, and one, you'll be a captain, you'll be a captain, I'll take that one, and you'll take that one, and they left up with, and I'm the last one left. 
And uh, says, well, you know, you had him. We don't both want him. You know, that was sort of like where I was sitting in the sporting spectrum. Useless. We're in that line and we can't, we've got to measure up, got to measure up, got to be the right way. Here's, here's how the kingdom works, guys. The owner of the nightclub is my friend, Jesus. And he comes down, pulls you out of the queue and walks you right up to the top and just say, he gets in no matter what you think because he's my friend. He's my son. Hallelujah. That's how you get in. You let Jesus get you into heaven. You let Jesus start off this new life where you let go of the old. Come on. Let go of the old. Start again afresh today and let that new life, that new creation just become exploding in your life. That's the power of the gospel. Next slide. Okay, this is the most expensive dress in the world. I had a look at it, and I actually don't think I'd bother to wear it myself. It's really not my colour, Cassie. <laughs> $30 million for a dress. $30 million. Apparently, it is for sale, but not down at the local salvos. <laughs> uh, the main reason it's expensive is because it's... Uh, clustered in these uh, diamonds, one being a very, very large, I think it's 30-carat diamond, $30 million. Let's say you're a female and uh, you're invited to the wedding and you say to the bridegroom, you say to the bridal party, I'm sorry, I don't have any clothes to wear. If you look at where I'm coming from, I've got just filthy clothes you know, I work hard, I smell and all the rest. And the bridegroom says to you, the bride says, well, we will buy you the dress. And they buy you this dress. Okay, you, you got the picture? You got the picture? And then you show up at the wedding wearing your dacky trackies, wearing your favorite shorts. See, men have an ability particularly to wear those shorts to death. They, their their favourite T-shirt, their favourite pair of shorts, their favourite pair of underwear. They can have rips in them. They can have holes in them. But no, you can't throw them out. That, that's my best. That's what I want to wear. Does anybody can say, yes, Pastor, that's me? <laughs> so there's the invitation to the wedding. The dress has been supplied. It's a pretty good dress, isn't it? What if you showed up, guys? in your t-shirt and your board shorts saying I'm good enough I've done my best look at me well the Bible tells us what happens God says I'm sorry you can't come to the feast you can't come to the party because you're not dressed properly there is a dress code for heaven you cannot come in your own righteousness you can't come with your own goodness you can only come with the fact that Jesus has given his goodness to you. That's the good news of the gospel. It can set you free. You don't have to ever suffer of guilt or burden. You can simply receive that today, that God is your saviour, your lover, and your cover. It's really transforming. Last slide, thank you. So this is the way it works. 
as human beings, we will either live under law or we'll live under grace. We'll either live under judgment or we'll live under mercy. And we do get to choose where we live, what country we live in. Now, the trouble with law land is that it sounds Christian sometimes. It's the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. It can be very religious at times. But you've also got secular laws, you've got greeny laws, you've got thou shall not use plastic straws, thou shall not, you know, there are all sorts of laws. And if you live in this land, what happens is that you are in a constant mode of judging everybody. You judge yourself, which is where guilt comes from, depression, shame. You're, you're, you're constantly judging yourself and measuring yourself. And you're constantly judging the people around you. Because part of that game is, oh, well, maybe I'm not as bad as Hitler. Maybe I'm not as bad as, maybe I'm not as good as this person. And so it's constantly judgmental. If any time, if, if you, if you've, excuse me, I put my false teeth back in. If you've ever used these sorts of words, you're pathetic. You're whatever. You, you, you can fill all that in. You live in lawland. The gospel is not is about setting us free from the law, and putting us into mercy land, judgment, where here people aren't pathetic. They are prophetic. You have the ability to see people not as they are, but as they could be. You see them not as Good Friday people beaten up and locked in the tomb and caught up with their problems and their sins and their shrouds of death. You see them as Easter Sunday people, people who have now been transformed as sons and gods, as princes of peace, as lights of the world, as the salt of the earth, as more than conquerors. Because you live in mercy land. You live in grace land. I'm not talking about Elvis Presley. I'm talking about the gospel, all right? We get to choose whether we live under law or under grace. I have no, I have no choice. If I live under law... I'm not going to be here for very long. I will spiral very quickly into judgmentalism, into self-criticism, into that narcissistic attitude that I've got to be happy. I've got to win. I've got to be better. The world's got to be free. I will spiral down into very dark places very quickly. But thank you, Jesus. I had a revelation that behold, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old man is dead. And I can live, not on Good Friday, I can live over here on Easter Sunday and know that Jesus is alive in me and there's a new life of resurrection. So I choose to live under God's mercy. And when I choose to live under mercy, under grace, you know what? Then my relationships with people around me become merciful and graceful and I put away the measuring rod and everybody's got to fit my view or whatever. It's a different world. And Jesus has died to take us from that world to this world to set us free. Can I have the uh, worship team up, please? And we, we will close now, so thank you.
Does that make sense, guys? Is it? Thank you, Lord. Let's just stand. and uh, I want to pray this morning, particularly for people that perhaps have got that, that issue of setting, letting the past go. You know, you're still tormented maybe by memories or by uh, things that have happened in the past. Labels, stigmas. It's not a question whether it's true or not true. It's a question whether it's forgiven or unforgiven. And I just really like to pray for people this morning that if you're in a place where you feel that that your past is holding you back, I'd love you to know that now there is no condemnation to Christ Jesus. But you do have to step out from the trees, from hiding from God, to lay down those fig leaves in order to embrace God's covering. He has paid the price in full. $30 million diamond studded dress is absolutely uh, zero value compared to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid down his life for you. That's the expensive one. It's freely given, but cost God the darling of heaven. So just bow your heads just for a moment. Just want a little, little bit of a moment time. You know, some of you, you know, those thoughts, they don't leave you alone. They're cruel to you. You're constantly being pulled back into, oh, you're this, you're that. You did this. You're pathetic. You'll never make it. You, 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 you know that voice. It's cruel. It's unkind. It can be relentless. And I'd love to pray with you this morning. We would love to see that breakthrough happen for you. Will you begin now to just let that go and live in the revelation that you live in mercy land. You live in grace land. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. If you'd like me to pray for you today, can you just slip up your hand? Nobody else looking around. It's a private moment. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. God bless. God bless you. God bless you. Number number of other people maybe just quickly. God bless you. God. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you said we would know the truth and the truth shall set us free. Lord, for all of us here today, particularly for those who've raised their hands and acknowledged the torment, the horror, the torturing that goes on because of memories and of failures, Lord, of past mistakes. Lord, today, today, Lord, if they harden not their voice, is the day of absolute freedom in you because they transfer themselves. They take upon themselves the righteousness, the robe of righteousness, what you have provided, or they clothe themselves in what Jesus did for us so many years ago. Lord, we lay down the stinking rags. We lay down those filthy pieces of clothing, Lord, that we've hung on to. We exchange that for what you have done in the name of Jesus. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new person and the old things.